I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Train Happy Troopers, and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast. My name is Tally Rye, and this week... We are joined by Lauren Cadillac, who you may know as the Feel Good Dietitian online. Lauren is a dietitian, the clue was in her Instagram handle, but she's also a personal trainer as well, and she has a history of being a competitive bikini model in the bodybuilding world. Um, and we had such a fascinating insightful discussion about that experience for her and how the bodybuilding world has certainly influenced our view of fitness and how we uh, think about what fitness really is Um, and we also talk about her experiences with eating disorders and uh, disordered eating through Uh, her life and through her bodybuilding experience so I personally took a lot from this I started my fitness journey around the same time as Lauren and Lauren and I are a similar age and um, I think we hit some really key points so I definitely think you're going to enjoy this episode but before we get into that it is time for our train happy trooper of the week cue the music So this week's train happy moment comes from Trooper Neve. Neve sent in a really lovely, um, a lovely moment. She just said, my train happy moment this week was taking extra breaks during my workout without questioning my body and why it needed those breaks. The old me would have obsessed over, quote, not burning as many calories or not working hard enough. Nope, not anymore. I love that, Neve. I think that's a really great example of you honoring your body, listening to yourself and trusting uh, your body's cues. And like you said, like just pushing back against that inner dialogue. I love that. If you have a train happy moment you want to share, please email them in to trainhappypodcast at gmail.com. That is also written in the show notes, so you can check that out there. And very exciting news, you may have heard, um, but the Train Happy merch is finally here. You can get yourself an I Train Happy t-shirt or hoodie. We're doing pre-orders until November the 7th um, and we are shipping internationally and you can order a t-shirt or a hoodie. Uh, I personally have been living in my hoodies in particular. It's that perfect time of the year for them. Um, so you can find that link in the show notes as well. It is at everpress.com forward slash train happy and you can pre-order that until November 7th and I'll keep shouting about that on the podcast and if you follow me on the and the uh, train happy podcast Instagram online too. Awesome. Uh, well, there's only one thing for it. Let's get into the episode and let's hear from Lauren. Lauren, welcome to the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for being virtually here. How are you doing? How have you been? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me. It's a rainy day here in Manhattan, but I'm excited to have this conversation with you. 
Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to kind of dig deep into various things in your own fitness journey and and talking about your work now. I think I came across your work obviously through social media. Um and I actually think mainly maybe through TikTok, you know? Oh really? Yeah. I always like I feel like TikTok is very it's a product of 2020 for me, you know, it was like, yeah. okay, I guess I'll go on TikTok, like most millennials probably. <laughs> um, so I always kind of forget, like, you know, mostly on Instagram and I always kind of forget. I'm like, oh yeah, there, there's lots of people on TikTok. <laughs> so it's awesome that you found me there. Well, I wanted to talk to you about that. So for everyone listening, you're a dietitian specializing in intuitive eating and a non-diet approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll kind of get into like how you came to do that. But my interest in the whole TikTok conversation is I'm going on there and I'm and I know I was never on Tumblr but I hear a lot of conversations around TikTok can be what Tumblr was for certainly for like really triggering food and body content um Mm -hmm. that had found online and I am seeing maybe because I've curated a bit of a bubble on my Instagram now but I go on TikTok and I'm really seeing some really worrying stuff I'm seeing kids repeating cycles that I have been through and that I have done myself and it's actually quite confronting to see a 20 year old do exactly the same thing that you did at 20 so for me it was like clean eating and the bodybuilding stuff and yeah and just kind of go like no I thought we'd because I've moved past that you know I thought we'd move past that and I wondered is that where you feel like your presence is needed on those kind of platforms and to reach that Gen Z generation, which when you say that makes me feel so old. <laughs> right, right. Like, oh, we're not the youngest generation. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because I feel the exact same way. Like with my Instagram, I've totally created this bubble where I follow very specific people. Usually even like my explore page, there's nothing really popping up there. So for me, I always just see certain content and it feels like, oh, the world is this place now. And, you know, people aren't doing X, Y, Z anymore, but it's really just because of what, I, what I've, you know, chosen to follow and, and mute and all of those things. And then, like you said, I went on TikTok and it was kind of like starting from scratch. Like the algorithm has to figure out my interests, I guess, because I'm just not on it all that much. And these things pop up and you're so right where it's so cringy because like you said, you've been there. I see these, these kids and you remember when you're 16, 17, you think you know everything. You think like you're on top of the world. Nothing can ever hurt you. Oh, there's a risk of that, but that'll never happen to me. You know? And and so to your point, it's almost like these forums, but in such greater detail of here's exactly what I eat. Here's the video of it, the audio of it, the progress pictures, my before and after my weight, like so much more information than I think we were exposed to. You know, obviously we had the internet, but a a much different internet back then. So I I really do think it is important for the message of honoring your body, respecting your body and body diversity, like that message to be out there. Because I mean, I don't know about you, but that wasn't a message I received when I was 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 20, 20. Like it was, I feel like I didn't even come across that until I was like 26 years old and I'm 30. So that's not that long ago. (laughs) Ditto. And I think, you know, when I first started getting into fitness in my early twenties, in particular is when I really started like getting really into it. I was mm-hmm. looking on social media. I was on Pinterest. I was on Instagram because I was looking for that information. 
Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's so important that I know that so many of those girls are doing YouTube workout videos that promise abs in two weeks and make yeah. these really false promises and tell them like, you have to blast your belly fat and you have to tone your arms. And the language is awful, but mm-hmm. we're just getting the same messages, but it's just coming out a different way. So whether it's someone sharing their what I eat in a day, which are prevalent on TikTok, yeah. um, mm-hmm. or they're going on YouTube and following these like unrealistic <laughs> workout plans and challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, we need, you know, I don't know about you, but I feel very cool to make the content that I wish I had when I was that age, that I wish that when I went into Google, I could find an alternative. Because I know, optimistically, I would love there to not be that information out there. But I think at the present, we just have to accept that we need at least an alternative. Yes. Yeah, it will be there. I mean, and it will be there for some time. But I think you're so right. Like we need to at least try to crowd it out a little bit and provide some other way of doing things. And I have had some feedback of, you know, thank you for saying this. There's so much on here that makes me think X, Y, Z. It's nice to have, you know, someone like you said, it's the kind of stuff that I wish I had. And I think that's where I'm sure a lot of your inspiration comes from for the content that you create. Mm -hmm. It's where a lot of mine, I mean, almost 98% of my content inspo is my own life experience of like, Hey, I know how this feels when you do X, Y, Z. I know those thought patterns. I know what it's like. I don't have your experience exactly, but I know what it's like to be in that certain mentality and it doesn't have to be that way. There's an alternative. So what was your like earlier experience with fitness? Where did it start for you? What was like school, um, high school and stuff? What was that like for you in terms of how you felt about fitness and food in your body? Yeah. I mean, I was always a very athletic child. I mean, I played soccer, softball, basketball, lacrosse, volleyball. I mean, I played everything. I'm like very hand-eye coordinated, like loved sports. It was just like fun. Like that's what we did in our family. Like we played sports. It was never like a punishment. It was, it was just fun. You know, my dad grew up playing sports. My mom plays tennis. Like everyone just kind of does stuff. So it was never tied to body shape or size or anything but you know kind of as you ask me this it's so interesting how even as you do this work just depending on the certain question that you're asked old memories come up that you don't really even think about I was always such a tiny kid and there was sometimes conversation around like oh you're so tiny or you're so small or you're so like in a way that came across of like oh so that's a good thing and I think that's kind of just like a little seed that gets planted of being smaller is better. Being tiny is better. You know, I could eat whatever I wanted. I was, I, we have home videos of me playing basketball and it's a little frightening actually how thin I am. I look actually kind of sick, but I just, that's just how my body was. I was just like a smaller child. And so I always had a really good relationship with, you know, food and working out per se. It was just sports. Um, I guess it was kind of when I, when I turned about 15 was when everything kind of came onto the scene of like uh, counting calories. I remember being obsessed with how many, like I knew how many calories were in like three ounces of carrots and I'd have my almond butter, and my yogurt. Like I had my specific lunch that I would always have. And I remember always talking about calories and that's kind of when it took a turn for me of fitness became trying to manipulate my body size. And I don't really know why that happened because it was never, like I said, I was never placed on a diet. I was never told to lose weight. I, I, 
I wish I could be like, it was this one moment, but I don't really know. I think it's, we're just getting the messages from those magazine covers and, you know, in the media, you see that like everyone's super thin. So I'm 15 and awkward looking and boys don't like me. So maybe it's because I'm not thin enough or, you know, things like that where you just assume when you're 15 years old. So I remember that's kind of where looking back, it would probably meet the diagnostic criteria for anorexia. Um, but I'd work out multiple times a day, um, you know, really counting my calories. And then that's kind of when my journey started, I guess you'd mm. say. My long journey. <laughs> I think it's really interesting, especially at that, like, in our teenage years is, and we, I mean, you may know more about this than I do as a dietitian, but that, that kind of teen, young adult phase is when we are most susceptible to dieting and then that risk going into eating disorder territory and how that can be a very slippery slope very quickly um, Mm -hmm. for engaging in those behaviors. Um, But the scary thing about it is those behaviors are so encouraged and normalized that we don't realize that eating disorder behaviors, we don't realize how disordered it is to count everything you eat. Um, Whether we see that in, you know, in the media, in that culture, you know, reinforced culturally or whether some I know people listening may have had that experience with parents and caregivers like you know modeling that behavior um Mm -hmm. it was just normal so do you think that's why it went maybe a bit undetected at the time that um because it was you were just being healthy Oh, a hundred percent. Like you just said, it not only was it normalized, but it was encouraged. I mean, I remember my dad coming down the stairs, mind you, I'm 16, I'm 15, like if I told you my measurements at the time, which I won't, cause it would be triggering, mm-hmm. you'd be like, okay, like you're in a very small body. Like why are you know? And he knew that I was kind of doing it to like lose weight. I'm pretty sure. Um, but I remember he made a comment. He's like, I got to hand it to you, Nick. That's what he calls me. Got to hand it to you, Nick. You you're dedicated. And how it was just like, it's four 30 in the morning and I'm 15 years old. Why Is am not- I getting up? Yeah. Is that right, a little like, red flag? <laughs> right, a little red flag there. And of course, it's just like, I love my parents. And it, I think because it's so normalized, you don't see it as a red flag. You see it as she's working out. She wants to be healthy. She's counting her calories. Like, good for you. She's trying to be healthy. These so many disordered behaviors are so normalized that you, unless you're looking for them or you know what you're looking for, people just applaud you for them. Not only do they just not see the flag, they encourage them. Absolutely. And that was totally my experience as well. Having been in a family that don't diet, really, Mm. I know it's a very unusual experience, but interesting that you'd maybe have it as well, but not being in that environment. And, and, you know, my my parents didn't know what to look for. They, they're kind of like, huh, like you're, you're like weirdly into this stuff. Um, but you know, you're being healthy and, and because we believe we're being healthy, right? We don't think, of course, um, doing it and then my other point was that around this age is how we are looking for a means and like in terms of the psychology behind these behaviors like we're looking for a means to control stuff and we're looking Mm -hmm. for a means to cope with just the intense period of growing up and Mm -hmm. this very transitional time in our life and um yeah, it's, it's interesting that you said, like, you don't necessarily know the exact reason why you mm-hmm. did that, but um, do you think it, it's a a way to cope with other things that are going on that, and this feels, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, 
Um, but I just know that in my experience, it was very much like, a, well, there's stuff going on that I don't really know how to emotionally process and deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just going to control stuff. Mm-hmm. And if I look perfect and I eat perfect and I move perfectly, then that's cool. And then to the, you know, to the um, external eye, I'm doing great. So nothing to yeah. see here kind of thing. Totally. I think that's very common for most people's like the world around you is out of control and food is, is usually the one thing that you can control. Personally, I think if I look back and I'm being truthful, I think it was a cry for attention. Mm. Um, I always kind of just liked, I liked getting attention, but didn't always feel like I got as much of it as I wanted. <laughs> like I went on to do bodybuilding, obviously, like I was okay with being in the spotlight. Um, but when I was 12, my sister was 15, my mom had our brother. So I think around that age, as a therapist in the past has pointed out, obviously my mother was tending to an infant and was tending to, you know, a a child and then has teenagers. So she's like, do you think part of it could have been like you were looking for some attention from your mom while she was, you know, handling like Mm -hmm. your brother? So I think a lot of it was attention. I wanted someone to notice like, oh, if I get really thin, people will notice and they'll pay attention to me type of thing. Oh, that's really interesting. I love thinking, well, I don't love, but I think I find it very, very um, insightful to to realize that I think a lot of people think this stuff is always just about the food and just about body image and just about insecurity within your, how you look. But oh, yeah. actually there's such a, a much more, um, there's like a deeper reason and and we learn to cope with stuff through our bodies and through stuff because that's what diet culture teaches us. Yeah, um, it's just something to latch on to basically yeah like it's mm-hmm. like oh that's a thing I can do because and there's plenty of information on how to do it so you just are like oh, well this is easy to find you mentioned bodybuilding how at what point was it um that you started getting into that yeah so I was about 24 so I actually graduated from Penn State in 2012 I did my dietetic internship in 2013 I graduated from there so I always like went to school for nutrition for dietetics was a dietitian first I worked in the clinical setting in a small um, acute care hospital for about a year and a half 2013 2014 and at that time I got really into like working out looking back I think it was kind of like a revenge type of thing like there's this boy that I had been seeing and we kind of ended things and I was like I'll show you and so I signed up for this bodybuilding show and my friend at the time was a trainer and he's like look I know you're not loving the clinical gig maybe bodybuilding could be a way to you know change your career path a little bit and boy did it yeah (laughs) so I did my first show he helped me train for that I did like a show in August and then I met a bunch of people which was really nice and we all did another show in October so how long did you have how long did you prep for the first show how long did you so I started yeah, prep uh, Memorial Day weekend. So what is that like? The end of May through. It's about three May, months. June, maybe? July, August. Yeah, three months. About three months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was mid-August. So I did three months there. I think I probably took a couple of days off, and then I went forward again and did a show in October. And then I won my class. Um, yeah, I won my class there. And so then I qualified for a national show. And so I went down to Miami the weekend before Thanksgiving. So I pretty much prepped like that whole half of the year, went down to Thanksgiving, down to Thanksgiving, down to Miami. (laughs) And that was a national show. I actually placed like seventh out of like 40 girls. 
And yeah, then it was kind of like, okay, now it's my first off season. And that's kind of where things kind of took a turn towards negative. Like in the beginning, it was really fun. Like I really loved it. I loved meeting people. I loved the challenge. I loved, you know, I really, I do like working out. I I always Mm -hmm. have. Um, And it was fun. And then it became not fun. So I'd be really in, so let's, tell people what bikini competing is because I think for some people who've been around in fitness for a while we know what this is potentially but for others um this might be a new sport that they're hearing about so yeah what is um bikini um competing in its essence yeah so basically I'm sure everyone's pretty much heard of bodybuilding it's the bodybuilding industry and there are different levels or categories if you will for men and women so for women there's bikini there's figure, there's fitness, there's physique, and there's bodybuilding. So it's an aesthetics competition. It's how your body looks, right? Just like bodybuilding, you know, you want certain proportions. And within each category, there are certain things that each judge is looking for. And in bikini, you're looking for muscularity, but not so much muscularity that it's, you know, you, it still wants to be feminine. You want your glutes to be nice and round and your waist to be nice and whittled and small, like detailed in your shoulders and your legs and your hair's all done. It's essentially like a beauty pageant, but literally on steroids. (laughs) It's, that's a very good way to put it. And I think it's really interesting how that particularly bikini competing, it's a kind of, um, Oh, what's the word? It's almost like a hyperbolic, and I don't know if that's ever, I think that's the right use of the word, hyperbolic view of the beauty standards that we're trying to meet in day-to-day life. It's an exaggerated version um, with a very deep spray tan Mm -hmm. and everything is slightly exaggerated. um, And a lot of the, it's interesting because I know within the sport as well, the idea of having bigger glutes and like we know with fitness, like how, cool and trendy it has become to grow your glutes and peach Mm -hmm. emoji and everything this Uh all started with bodybuilding obviously it filtered in with like kardashians influence but all of these things they mirror each other and particularly in the fitness industry a lot of it came in because that's what bikini girls were doing and so we were all trying to emulate these fitness models yes who would land the covers of the fitness magazines who would be um so it's so interesting how i mean when i this whole grow your, grow your booty, everything like that. All of this has happened within, I'd say the last five years. I've been probably in this space for like seven, eight years. And I remember when it was starting to become really cool Mm -hmm. to grow your glutes Mm -hmm. and it was a Mm -hmm. big trend. Um, so I want you to maybe slightly explain what your prep was. And like, I'm going to make assumptions about your prep, having known people who've been through this journey, having been on, you know, the, the fringes and seen stuff a bit myself was it very much like a everything meal prepped eating out of Tupperware constantly um potentially carrying around the big bag of you know the oh, thing the where you, Mark's bag oh the, yeah yeah right. the bag where you yep yeah. <laughs> and and it's like training most days um and all and with you're training different body parts on those days is that kind of roughly what it entailed Pretty much. So I, I mean, I prepped from 2014. I did basically shows all of 2016, took some time off 
in, I'm sorry, all of 2015. I don't know if I just said that, but, and then took some time off and did one show in 2016. So my prep kind of changed based on like, initially I had no idea what I was doing. Like I'm a dietitian, but like, you don't learn how to do bodybuilding in undergrad. Right. So I was just like, okay, I Googled like macros and I was doing like, I remember I ate like four plus bars a day. I was visiting my parents down. They lived in Texas at the time. And just for like the first weekend, I was trying to hit certain macros and I was visiting them. So I remember I was eating like all this like jerky and quest bars. I can never eat a quest bar again. But Same. so like initially it was like, yeah, it was so gross. Um, initially I was like, I'm a dietitian. I'm going to do this the healthy way. Like I know too much about nutrition. Like I'm not going to cut things out. I'm just going to if it fits your macros type of thing, right? Yeah. Like I'm just going to eat the foods that I want, but just make sure that it, it fits those specific macros. And I remember, uh, young Lauren, I remember being like, I'm going to do this the healthy way. <laughs> Looking back, I'm just like, you're so silly. Like, it's just not how that works. But so that was kind of like my first, all of 2014. That's kind of how I did things. Then do you know who Dexter Jackson is? No. Okay. He's a, he's like a big time bodybuilder and he has a team of, there's like bodybuilding yep. teams like bombshell and whatever. Um, I got recruited, I guess you'd say for Dexter Jackson's team in 2015. So that team had me doing like more of the meal plan. And so I was like, all right, well, this guy's like one of the biggest bodybuilders of all time. He must know what he's talking about. So let me, you know, if I want to be successful in this sport, which they completely sell to you. Like if you want to be successful in this industry, you have to do these things and this is the way to do it. And this is how you get sponsors and how you get big and how you make money and all these things. When in reality, when you think about how many people actually compete and then how many people actually make money, I mean, you're pretty much just the money I've spent on bodybuilding is kind of absurd. But so th then I kind of moved into the standard bro bodybuilding chicken rice broccoli type of thing always had my tupperwares always was bringing that fit mark bag anytime i went anywhere you know i'd have that um i'm pretty sure i got microscopic colitis from eating i don't know either the same thing every single day or like bringing ground turkey with me and it going bad because i was actually once I got into that in 2015, I was a sales rep for a sports supplement company. When I say I've been in diet culture, like wow. I've been in diet culture. You <laughs> like literally got the t-shirt. Yes. Yes. Fat burners, uh, pre-workouts, like that's what I was selling. And so I'd be on the road all day and I'd have my little, you know, bag with me and kind of eat and do all that. And then as far as training goes, you're completely right. Like all the body part splits, you know, I'd have a leg day or like a gluten hamstring day. Uh, up, uh, back, whatever. It feels like so long ago that I've done that, that I'm like, I think that's what it was. It was like all split up. And then my cardio would kind of vary depending on how far out from a show I was or, you know, where my body was at, at that time, how much I needed. So yeah. <laughs> I want to know how you reconciled doing all the bro stuff and the fat burning pills and the eating the same thing every day with a dietetics degree, with that information. And I did, the team you were on, were, the person giving you the meal plan, potentially were you more qualified than they were to talk about nutrition? And yet that you, was... <laughs> and yet, yeah, okay. 
No, sorry. That was the thing. I remember I'd go back and forth with them. They were like, they hated me until I won uh, the Pittsburgh show. I won the entire overall. Once I won that show, I was like their golden child. Like they loved me after that. But before I was always like, shouldn't I have this after I work out because it's faster carbs and it's easier protein, blah, 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 versus having this meal. You know, they give me my meal plan. And for me, when I was prepping myself, I would do like a post-workout meal because okay, I wanted like recovery to be part of this. So that would move depending on what time I worked out. But with their meal plan, it was just meal one, two, three, four, five, six, regardless of when I worked out. So if my last meal was like salad and sand or fish, and I just worked out at night, I'm like, I think I need some carbohydrates. And I'd say something like that. And they would be like, just eat your food. So there was always kind of that like budding of like, I am a dietitian, but also like, you're a top bodybuilder for the past 20 years. So like, what do I know type of thing? And I think it kind of went back to like, in my dietetics, in my undergrads, looking back so much of that is even problematic. Like the stuff that they teach you in school. So you have this like, okay, I didn't learn about bodybuilding. And like what I learned was a lot of it's kind of like applying to clinical stuff. Like, okay, if someone has renal failure or if someone has pancreatitis or someone has diabetes or whatever, where it doesn't necessarily apply to this arena. So there was definitely like butting of heads. Mm. (laughs) It's so interesting also how it was a, a man like telling you like the feminist angle of like having this information, like you technically being far more qualified as a woman, having your gut instincts be like, hmm, this doesn't quite make sense. And yet a man in that context, I'm going to presume a white man. Um, Black man. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> but um, even so, that kind of patriarchal, like, do what I say. Yeah. And almost like, I was it a little bit like a shut up and just look pretty? Like shut up and just model. Basically. And the fact that there was, Well, so it was him and his wife. And so I actually spoke to his wife a lot more. Um, And I mean, I'm like a completely different person than I was back then. Like I look back and I'm just like, who are you? Like, what were you doing? But um, I mean, I would mostly speak to Gail, who was his wife, who did bodybuilding. But, you know, if you're using like, oh, he's a big time bodybuilder. I'm not even talking directly to him. You know, I'm talking to his wife. There's like 50 to 100 girls on this team. Wow. So like- now that I have my own private practice and I think about how much attention I give my clients, I don't have 75 people at one time. You know, like how can you possibly give everyone an individualized meal plan, an individualized workout routine that changes every single week based on how far you are out from a show? How could you be possibly doing that with two people? Like, like unless you worked all, all day, every day on that, like how can you possibly do that? So it very much did have it like, we were just kind of like this cult and he was just kind of like the leader, like telling all of us women, it's so disturbing looking back. You're just like, that's so wrong. Like, that's not cool. <laughs> Definitely has like a level of patriarchy in, in there. <laughs> but also that copy and paste nature, I think mm-hmm. is really important because I know people were listening and I know of people who are Instagram trainers who have, you know, a lot, there are a lot of fitness trainers online, particularly in social media who have built a brand off of, the way they look and therefore then tell other people how to eat, how to move. Yeah. And you're right. If, if someone says I have a hundred clients, how can they possibly 
be giving you a meal plan that works for your body. And I would love you to just drive home as a dietitian how individual what we need to eat and how we need to move actually is and how it is not a one size fits all thing. And I think about this in, I know that there are general plans. And I think if you're saying like, this is a general plan, you know, I think that's okay because if you're not making the false promise that, you know, we create tailored plans for you, when how can it be truly tailored when you know, like, as you say, the time and energy it takes to make that individual um, package? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's what's important is like, if you're just giving a sample meal plan, just disclose that, like, just put that out there of like, hey, here's just an example. But if you're like you just said, marketing it as this is a tailored thing individualized to you and your body like that's just unethical I mean not only is there like diversity between like you and I of what we need but like from me today versus me tomorrow I need something different tomorrow than I need today so to give me a meal plan of like eat xyz for meal one two three four five six whatever you're doing that could be okay one day but like Okay, so on the day that I have rest, this is my this is what I need. And on the day that I train legs and do X amount of cardio, like that's my food too. Like that doesn't make sense. Like intuitively, I'm moving more, so I, I would probably require more energy. If I'm moving less, maybe I require less energy. You know what I mean? So like there's differences between people, but also within yourself of just day-to-day movement, day-to-day, you know, stress levels, all of those things. Yeah, and I I have to say in the context of like eating disorder recovery I'm you know there is a time and a place for meal plan to follow that I think especially in the early stages of that yep but on the whole I know we are obviously coming at things from an, an intuitive approach but the yeah the idea of a meal plan is so counterintuitive to mm-hmm. listening to your body and knowing how to feed yourself yeah. So when you are coming in that off season, which is when I think like when it comes to these bikini competitors, bodybuilders, um, maybe it is when a lot of things kind of either slightly fall apart because your body starts to rebel against the severe restriction or yeah, you're kind is. of given an opportunity to eat and you don't really know how to eat by yourself. So then you end up binging on stuff because you've been restricted on so many things um (laughs) and hormones maybe all over the place like yeah like how do you go from that super tight really focused goal to then after that oh yeah I mean you just like you hit the nail on the head um when I had to go into my first off season it was that was when everything fell apart for me I mean like I said earlier initially it was fun and it was great. I mean, everyone's like, wow, look at you. you, all this attention, all this praise, people are so impressed by you. And then suddenly it's over, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I don't know if you've heard of like post-show blues, like everyone gets post-show blues of like, cool. I worked three months for this 90 seconds. I was on stage if that, and now it's over now what? And I had this fear of like, I'm going to gain weight and I'm going to go back to how I was and no one's going to, and I'm just going to be average again and blah, 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 blah. All of these just like not helpful thoughts. And I started binging and purging actually. Um, And I remember it was like, I would try to eat a little bit more because that's what you do in your off season. You need to eat more to like grow your muscles or whatever. Um, And I just, I mean, now I know I'm like, well, duh, you were restricted for how many months? 
you have this intense fear of weight gain, your hormones are completely messed up. Like, of course you're binging, but then that fear, I mean, it really drove me into like, I mean, I struggled with that with bulimia until 2016, which mind you, I'm a dietitian at this time. So the level of shame that there is with that behavior and then layer on the fact that like, I'm supposed to be a dietitian and this bodybuilder. And like, that was my identity now at this point, like I'm this dietitian, I'm a bikini competitor, like so much shame involved in that because I'm supposed to help people with that. I should also say like, you don't learn that in your undergrad and maybe they do now, but like you learn about what anorexia and bulimia was like, those are the only two things we learned about, but nothing about how to actually treat it. Like that was always a further um, you would do that in your internship and specialize in that. So it wasn't really something that we learned to deal with per se in undergrad. But I mean, that was like the start of all of that. And the only way I was able to control it was to sign up for another show. And that's kind of why I hopped from show to show to show. I met my ex-boyfriend now. Um, I met him at my second show. And that was always his suggestion. He's like, why don't you just sign up for another show? Like, it'll give you something to work towards. And it would put a Band-Aid on it for a second. You know, I'd, okay, cool. I have a goal to work towards. I can be like blinders on, focused, cool. Until I had free reign and had to decide what to eat for myself. And then it was like too much to handle. And replace show with the marathon you're going to enter or the, um, or the other diet you could try. Or just even Mm -hmm. the way you said like how fun bodybuilding was at first. You lost the weight. You got the compliments. Like that is the classic yeah. diet cycle oh, of yeah. Oh, yeah. like, oh my goodness, the first year is amazing, the compliments. And then it's like, how do I maintain this? And okay, I reached the goal. What do I do yeah. now? Because yeah. so many of us embark on these diets with the goal in mind. It's the wedding, it's the holiday, it's the, you know, whatever the goal is. And yeah. then once your plan is gone and that structure's gone, and then it's like, and what now? now what, and now what? that's so the bit that we don't talk about in fitness and the mm-hmm. bit that when I, you know, pe- you know, I'm working in an environment as a personal trainer and I know you worked as a personal trainer too, where mm-hmm. it's like 12 week plans to this, you know, my bikini body guide, come and do this, um, you know, for, you know, four month thing to get this transformation. Yeah. Um, and the the messages like this 100% works look at my before and after photos look what this person did but we never get the one year follow-up the two-year follow-up or the three-year follow-up to be like so what are they doing now so they got yeah they got that moment in time and then what happened and and how is their relationship with food and how do they feel about their body and do they feel completely tied to the identity of I am small and when I'm smaller, people value me more and therefore mm-hmm. I must try and cling to this. Yeah. Um, and the very real fear that you spoke about of like, that's my identity. And if I don't mm-hmm. have that, what do I have? Right. It's like a loss of self. It really is. It's like, this is who I am. And if I lose this, then what am I? Who am I? What else do I do? You know, it's like, it's all consuming. Like, that's what I do. I mean, I had a conversation with my neighbor who turns out is like the most interesting woman in the world. <laughs> and I was like, I look back now and I'm like, I don't have a lot of stories because I didn't do anything. Like I didn't go anywhere. All I did was work out and eat like that. Those are my interests. Like nothing about politics, nothing about um, books or travel or anything interesting because all it was, was 
diet and exercise, diet and exercise. And when you were just saying that, like, it just reminds me that it's like a drug. You get a high and that first high is you're constantly chasing that. You're constantly chasing that. But at what cost, what detriment is it doing to your health, to the people around you? Like, what is, what is it doing? You know? And, And that's, what diets do is like the first time it is easy. The first time the weight does tend to fall off and that's what keeps you hooked. Just like those 12 week transformation photos. Sure. It'll work in 12 weeks, but then what, what happens when it stops working? It mm. will stop working. Your body's going to rebel. Your body's much smarter than your 12 week meal plan. It's like your body's getting pushed back and you're so right. There's never any follow-up on two years, three years, four years, because if there was, it wouldn't be promising. It wouldn't sell their product. It's so, yeah, it's so true. And I, and I think, you know, talking through that whole bodybuilding cycle as well, like I haven't thought about it in a long time because I've been, you know, as, Removed, as, yeah. as you like have got past it, but to realize Don't how much that memory out, no, I'm just kidding. it's almost like it is the diet cycle, but almost in like this short span of like this one year cycle that people usually have the off season, the on season, And in your view, how normal was disorder in, in the environment, the bodybuilding environment? I mean, I personally can't see how you can be in that industry. And I'd be, as someone who's done it, I mean, I very much respect your input on this and do it in a harm-free way like I feel that there must like because so much disorder is normalized um that I don't yeah I I can't see it without necessarily leaving long-term harm and I've heard even people on various podcasts I listened to in the past that people say like you know the vast majority of people who enter into that world their relationship with food is changed it is um impacted and Mm -hmm. it's like in a really in a negative way what are Mm -hmm. your thoughts on that industry and that world as a whole with the perspective and the hindsight that you have now I mean personally I I think all of it's disordered when you think about the intention behind what you're doing what you're doing you're intentionally ignoring the cues of your body to change what it looks like you are going against exactly what it's asking for to, to shrink it. I mean, we know intentional weight loss diets are not good for the body. So how can you go about that in a good way? How can it be a healthy thing? Sure, like eating, you know, eating more protein or fiber or fruits and vegetables, like those are great things. But if you're doing it in this way that it's restrictive, I mean, I just don't know how it can't be disordered. I mean, I've tweeted before that it's just a socially acceptable and even praised. I mean, it's an applauded. I don't want to. You get a medal. You get a trophy. You you get a trophy for having disordered eating, essentially. You do. I mean, and it's kind of a joke when you're in it that like everyone's like, "Yeah, I have body dysmorphia." Like everyone jokes, but it's like, no, serious. Like everyone really does, and you almost have to because that's the whole sport. Is like I remember. Oh, so all of these things are coming up for me. I haven't thought about this in a while. Um, I mean, I remember I, because that's what you do in the sport is like, you look at a body 
and you just completely judge it. And you say, oh, her shoulders could be a little rounder. Oh, her hamstrings don't pop quite as much. Her quads seem to be more dominant. And you just start to pick yourself and everyone apart because that's what the sport is. That's what the judging is on is like, what are the ratios? And, and then that's all you start to see in people. And it's just, oh, it's so not healthy. And I'm sure there are, there are people that can do it and they love it and that's their life and it brings them joy and that's awesome. But I think for a majority of people, like you said, it does have a negative impact, lasting impact on their relationship with food and body. And I think it takes a lot of work to undo because it's kind of like, I have a client that I talked to about, she suffered uh, from anorexia years ago and she used to talk about like reading lines to convince herself of all of these beliefs, you know, to convince herself not to do certain things. Um, kind of what bodybuilding is like all of these things that were sold that you really internalize that like, Oh, if you don't do this, like other people are doing it more like, Oh, you don't have the willpower. You got to push harder. Like pain is blah, blah, blah. And fat is, and sweat is fat leaving your body. And all of these like messages that you really just internalize and you take them as law. Like that's your religion. Like bodybuilding is your religion and you follow, you know, the commandments that you're given. And if you don't, then you don't succeed. Then you don't get the ultimate prize Then you don't get, you know, it's your fault. You know, someone else wanted it more. Someone else was better. Someone else did more than you. Yes. And I think it's so interesting to draw the parallels. And I know, and I know um, Caroline Duna in her book, The Fuck It Diet, like talks about like the cult mentality of dieting and dieting clubs. And I yeah. think bodybuilding is like almost like the ultimate club. And, mm-hmm. and it, I just find it so interesting how social media, because I always think bodybuilding, you know, 20 years ago it was probably a fairly like niche sport that mm-hmm. not many people had access to that not as many people knew about but in the last 15 years thanks to social media it has become so mainstream and when I talk about the fitness industry in general I'm talking mm-hmm. about the influence that bodybuilding has had and the expos I mean oh, yeah the the brand Gymshark was built off of bodybuilding like that's where mm-hmm. it was stemmed from. And in the UK, yeah. it is one of the fastest growing companies in the UK full stop. And wow. it's one of the, it's like the biggest fitness brands in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it all stems from this. So recently when Gymshark showed a slightly more diverse body on their feed, they got a huge yeah. backlash because they built this cult following around bodybuilding. Their mm-hmm. biggest names of, you know, their biggest athletes were bodybuilders who competed. Yes, And so people like myself, people like you, people, and I know people listening who've stuck up with me for a long time would be like, well, this is what we thought fitness was. Like mm-hmm. fitness mm-hmm. is, it is the dieting and the exercise together. Those, they're not separate for, for mm-hmm. one thing. Mm-hmm. And it is about weight training only, like the rise of resistance training, which as a personal trainer, and I'm sure as a personal trainer, you're like, it's fantastic. Um, it doesn't need to be the only form of movement. It has a time and place. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and so you worked as a personal trainer yeah. in Equinox, is that right? I did, yes. Yes. So was that at the same time as doing the bodybuilding stuff? Yeah, it was. I started there in 20, 2015 or 16. Maybe it ended 2015. But yes, and that culture was very, so each Equinox club, and I'm sure every gym kind of has its own culture. Um, that location specifically, 
everyone was super close. Like I loved everyone that I worked with, but so many people competed. And at the time, like, I thought it was great. I was like, this is awesome. Like I get to be around people that are into the same thing that I am. Like people don't think I'm weird. If I bring my food with me, like everyone else is doing that. Like, perfect. I'm really able to like (laughs) isolate myself with these people. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's kind of, like you said, like, that's what fitness was, was you, you eat this way, you train this way. And I think you're really right with, with social media, like the idea of meal prep, like how normalized that became because of social media is like meal prep Sunday. This is what it looks like. And I feel like so many people started behaving as if they were bodybuilders without actually competing. And it's like, it's like, it sucks enough. Even if you're competing, like if you're not going to compete, like why do this to yourself? Like it's, it sucks. But I think because you see that, like, that's what people are doing. And Hey, this is how you look if you do these things. And it just became mainstream. You know, it was supposed to be this like extreme sport. Just like, I mean, football is not healthy, right? Like any, running like ultra marathons that's probably not the best thing for your heart maybe I don't know um but like anything at that extreme of a level is not really healthy anymore it's about something else and then it just becomes completely mainstream because of social media and so all these people are now trying to live that lifestyle when it's not even sustainable for bodybuilders they do it for three months and then they stop you know it's and then your personal trainer is a competitor and mm-hmm. as a competitor, and I noticed this, that you think that everyone should be doing what you're doing because it's that's what worked for you, that's what you do. So then you filter out to these like people who are just like clients who just commute into the just office, want to work, out, work right? out, just, just want to work out, <laughs> don't want to take it that seriously. Sounds and like yet we doing, go like, like isometric bicep curls, like they're doing. <laughs> yep. Oh, they're doing, yep, they're doing yeah. like hamstring only workouts. And it's like, that's yeah, not what they need. Rear, rear don't fly. <laughs> But that's, and I've seen that because I've worked in that gym environment as well. I've been that trainer because you're like, well, if it's what I'm doing, that's what you should do. And this is how it kind of got trickled down, this idea of, um, and we have like the body coach here in the UK, who's one of our biggest fitness, um, probably the biggest person in fitness right now is um, the body coach, Joe Wicks. And his whole brand of fitness is almost like a hybrid of that because he does promote the meal prep stuff. Mm. He does... Um, promote that stuff Um, and it's it's a different version actually bodybuilding world would be very critical of what he does but it's interesting how there's elements of it that would not have existed without the gym bro culture becoming Mm -hmm. mainstream and it's I just find it fascinating so you stopped personal training is that right so I actually I mean I still am technically a personal trainer and actually pre-pandemic I was still training Oh, I was nice. doing about half of my time personal training, half of my stuff as a dietitian. And it was kind of my goal to eventually move everything to virtual nutrition coaching. And COVID kind of just pushed that along. So something good has come out of this for me. So I'm like, okay, that was that was a nice thing. Um, but yeah, I was doing personal training. I left Equinox in 2018, I think. Um, maybe 2017. I had to one, they take a large chunk of your pay, like Mm -hmm. a large chunk. So you're there working long hours, clients pay a lot of money, like 110 to $140 a session. And I was like the highest rank that there was at that club. So they're paying like $140. And like the club takes like 70% of that. Like they take a lot. So I'm like, "Mm," like, 
I'm over this. I'm working a lot of hours. I'm doing a good job. So I actually kind of went out on my own and I was doing stuff privately. Um, and it was actually really beneficial for me in terms of like recovering and healing my relationship with food and movement and all that stuff, because I was no longer in that environment where, I mean, I remember one time leaving the break room being like, I'm not going to work out today. And someone was like, why? And I was like, I'm really tired. And they were like, what? Like, like it was this crazy concept that I was going to choose to just not work out because I was really tired, you know? And like to have that be this like mind blowing thing that I wasn't going to work out. I was like, okay, I think I need to, I need to be on my own for a little bit, like get out of this environment, like great people. I really, truly do love a lot of them. Um, but I just, you know, needed to get out of that space. So yeah, I was doing some personal uh, training privately up until I guess February. And do you, and did your approach change with your um, clients as well in terms of how you um, encourage them to maybe be less so um, prescribed, but be more intuitive with the way they were like working out and stuff? Totally, totally. I mean, as you were just saying that before, I was like, yeah, so having my clients do calf raises, <laughs> maybe not the best use of their hour, um, definitely shifted to more like functional stuff. Um, rather than obviously we'd still do strength training. Like that's kind of what they came to me to learn how to do. A lot of times people were just like, I want to make sure I'm doing things safely. Yeah. I don't want to hurt myself. I want to make sure I have good form, but definitely shifted to more functionality, um, flexibility, mobility, and all that stuff versus just like hypertrophy. Mm, it's so interesting how you said as well, the, the gym environment of, of getting out of that and having that to, um, to feel really good. And I was talking to someone about this recently, how I really loved, and I know New York has an amazing, um, uh, like boutique fitness scene that we do in London as well. So you have a lot of like the studio classes, the soul cycles. I think you've got, um, what's the boxing one called? It's gone totally rumble. Rumble. We have yeah. a class called rumble, but it's at one rebel. There's one place here and there's all these cool classes to go do. Yeah. And I've kind of noticed recently that as I've really, trying to be more intuitive and I want to have a certain mindset around what I'm doing I I don't know I find it hard to be in those spaces because a lot of the people in that class are there for very different reasons to why I'm there and mm -hmm. even and maybe the the motivation the language used by instructors or is that of centered and I feel like a lot of people there are out of a need to burn calories a need to mm -hmm feel less guilty about food to just mm -hmm. you know just to because they don't they want to change what they see because they're not happy and uh -huh. I don't know but that energy being around that energy um is hard when you're trying to really try and care for yourself and mm -hmm. and move because it feels good like have you found personally that maybe the way you've worked out has changed it has has and developed because you've been trying to do it from a place of care rather than a mindset of like, I must change the aesthetic. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, I mean, obviously with COVID, like I'm sure everyone's exercise and movement routines have changed. Well, yeah. But I think you're so right in that when you're trying to get into this new mindset and when you become aware of diet culture and you learn and like kind of reflect back on like the damage that I don't want to like, place blame on anyone because my decisions were my decisions and like I did what I did but I know the pain and the suffering that I went through 
because I received the messages that being this way is better, looking this way is better. And I get kind of like angry a little bit when I hear certain messaging because I'm like, you're harming people. Like that messaging is harmful. Like I know you're trying to be inspirational and motivating, but like I can tell you from firsthand experience that like encouraging this to burn this calories or to tone this or bust that or whatever it might be, like that is harmful. I lived that experience. So I definitely get kind of annoyed and defensive. <laughs> like, don't do that. That's messed up. <laughs> but definitely as uh, COVID's kind of happened or COVID has happened and, and, you know, there's living in a city, there's so much movement just built into your day, especially with doing, I was seeing clients in person, I was training people. And then I was also doing stuff virtually. So I have like a city bike membership or I did. And so I'd be biking a lot. I'd be walking a lot, going between appointments. And now that I'm home all the time, that's definitely changed. And I, I think the biggest thing for me is the mood changes that I have when I do work out versus when I don't work out. Even if it's, it doesn't have to be a crazy long workout. It could just be for, you know, a shorter amount of time. But I notice that like my day goes a lot better first thing in the morning or you know early in the morning, I can get some type of movement in. My mood is just better. And looking back, exercise was something that put me in a bad mood because I didn't want to used to do it. Like in the beginning, it was fun and I liked it. But then after a certain point, you're like, I'm chronically sore. I'm chronically tired. I'm chronically underfed. I don't want to work out. It's going to make me feel like garbage versus now it's about... I'm going to feel really good after I do this. Even if maybe in that moment, I don't really want to, I'm like, I know I'll feel good. I enjoy it when I'm doing it. I just need to do it. So I got myself like a little bike off Amazon. I used a little Peloton app. Um, I'm very like, we were just talking about the language that people use. <laughs> like I'm very specific with certain instructors. You know, I like Cody Rigsby. He's just funny and like makes me laugh. He does like Britney Spears rides and just try to do things that are fun now versus feeling like I need to do it. Cause I'm like, I don't need to, I don't have to, but I usually feel better if I do. So I will. <laughs> Can I ask what the catalyst or whether maybe you, maybe you can't pinpoint a catalyst, but if there was a moment where you were like, I'm done with diet culture or like, oh, this, this is diet culture. Like what was that realization for you? If there was so, one. Oh yeah. So there, <laughs> I have this very specific timeline. I can just remember so perfectly because it was just so like such a big part of my life. So I was with this person. We were together for like two years, kind of on and off, but like the last couple months of us being together, I thought things were really great. Like we went car shopping together, helped him pick out a car. We were going to move in together. We went on vacation together. We got back the day after I got back from vacation. I found out he had been cheating on me with someone else, woke up to a picture of him laying with someone else. So it was this moment of, and, and this person was a bodybuilder as well. So I've posted things like this on Instagram in the past, how my relationship with him was exactly like my relationship with food. It was toxic. It was not helpful. It was um, bad for my, my physical and mental health. It was hot and cold all over the place. And I remember it was right around Thanksgiving and I was just, I need to just purge things from my life. If I need to purge him, I had all these like earrings, 
all these piercings. I took all my piercings out. It was like this very like big moment of like, I need to change my energy. I don't know what it is, but I know so, like I'm very into like the law of attraction and, and energy and all that kind of stuff. And I said, something that I'm doing is just not doing the right things here. Took all my stuff out. Literally a month later, I met Nick, who is my fiance, and he is the complete opposite. Like, if this ex-boyfriend was diet culture, Nick is intuitive eating, you know? Like, yeah, <laughs> he's so level-headed. He's so grounded, had such a good relationship with food that I think meeting him and just being normal again of, like, going out to eat and going to bars. I was like 26 at the time. So, you know, doing all of these things, I was like, I really want a relationship. I want a healthy relationship. I want the life that I've always hoped for. I want to travel and I want to do these things. And it seems like this person, I could do those things with this person, but in order to get those, I know I need to leave certain behaviors behind. And so he was such a big, he played a massive role in helping me to change that inner dialogue, that bodybuilding way of thinking no longer served me. He was so just that nurturing, curious voice that intuitive eating talks about so much. You know, he just kind of naturally had it. He's like, well, why don't you just do this? Or what would happen if you just didn't diet? (laughs) In typical male form, he would just be like, well, why don't you just don't do that? Or just don't binge eat or don't, don't diet. Like it's easy for you to say, but he really was so like I said, level-headed, grounded, and he played such a massive role in really helping me shift from that diet mentality into more of an intuitive eating mindset. And somewhere around that time, I actually went on a retreat with a dietitian that I did my internship with, and she invited me to it. And she's like, hey, I think this could be really cool. Do you want to come? And it was all about intuitive eating, health at every size, and that was my first introduction to that. I mean... It's just it blows my mind that we didn't learn about that. You know, intuitive eating has been around since 1995, and I graduated in 2013 from my internship. And how had I never heard of that until 2016 or 2017? So that was really my first introduction. And as soon as I learned about that, it was really my ticket out of diet culture. So I'm so passionate about it now because it literally is what saved me. I mean, I'm who knows what would have happened if I had stayed in that industry, if I had kept doing the things I was doing, you know, it really turned my life around and I've seen it do the same for so many other people. So, yeah. (laughs) I think it's so, as you said, like whether it's a friendship or a family member or a partner that has that, it kind of like holds a mirror up and kind of, and if they're not in that dieting mentality, if they're not, and they're able to be like quote normal around food or they're able Uh to, have that thing you're like huh not everyone thinks this way um not everyone behaves this way because I know my own experience and it sounds like you did the same like you dive straight into this thing you're obsessed with and then you also all your friends are this uh, you have this common interest of dieting of changing your body and so like that's what you talk about and like seemingly everyone's doing it because you go online (laughs) and everyone's doing it and whether this is like it could be bodybuilding, it could be Weight Watchers, it could be Slimming World, it could be any of those things. Yeah. If like, if that's what your common bond is with those people, and it's like when you meet someone who's not in that, and you're like, oh, like this is what a normal relationship with food is like. And sim- you know, I've your journey in some ways mirrors mine as well, because 
yeah. my boyfriend as well absolutely played a role in kind of just being like bless him <laughs> I was talking to him like the other day and I would always make my lettuce burgers and uh-huh. all those sorts of things and I was like oh, I'm sorry we did that and he's like I actually didn't mind those I actually quite like that <laughs> and I was like that's okay and I was like are you sure because you really did eat a lot of things that like I would never make now yeah <laughs> like, I know like, I would never like, serve <laughs> yeah um, like Italian man he's like what the heck are these doodles give me I the know. pasta Just give me the pasta exactly um and yeah bless him unknowingly showed me that you could just enjoy stuff and as you've said like there's a life to be lived on the other side mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it is worth the discomfort of challenging all of those rules and beliefs that we have around food and health and and movement um and we always talk about in that when we're like ditching diet culture that you what you get back in terms of your brain space um so how are you what is life like for you now versus four or five years ago what's different in terms of like is Lauren more than a dietitian and yeah I mean even just having this conversation I unless I'm talking about this topic, I don't think about my bodybuilding days all that much in detail anymore. But looking back, I mean, I'm not even the same person. Like forget the things that I do, just me talking to someone. I've tweeted this. I like used to think I was just a really like kind of, am I allowed to say curse words on here? Yeah, go for it. I thought I was like a really bitchy person. And I have my moments for sure. But actually, I had this moment like a couple months ago. I'm like, wait, I'm actually pretty nice. I was just chronically underfed and just yes. always miserable. My hormones were messed up. I was always working out. I was tired. Like, I was not a fun person to be around. And now I'm like, oh, I'm actually pretty nice. I'm kind of a nice person. So it's like, I not only does my personality feel different, but obviously pre-COVID, I mean... Nick and I travel all the time. We went to Patagonia last year. We went to Cartagena. I mean, we took all of these trips that I didn't even go to the beach. I mean, I live in New York and at the time I was living in Hoboken. So I was in Jersey. I mean, I, I'm talking as if you know where Hoboken (laughs) Jersey is. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, If you live in Jersey, like you go to the Jersey shore in the summer or you go to some beach, like you're close to the water. I mean, for two years, I didn't go to the beach because I would have to work out in the morning. I'd have to pack all of my food. You know, it just was more stress than it was fun. So I wouldn't even do that. I wouldn't go out to dinner. I wouldn't see my friends or family. Like now I lead a normal life where I see my friends and family in responsible, distant ways. <laughs> I'm able to travel pre-COVID. You know, I'm able to have interest in other things. And I think that's where I have the space to do the work that I do now with so much of it is about, um, you know, like there's social justice movement, uh, social justice pieces to it. There's, um, you know, breaking down the patriarchy, all of these things that like I didn't even consider because I couldn't. I was just, my basic needs weren't even met. I was just trying to, I was at that bottom rung of, food and that's it I don't have enough food so I literally can't do anything else and it's so ironic because we think once we get that body type or that size or shape life will be how we dream it to be but it couldn't be further from the truth at least in my experience because in order to do that you have to sacrifice the things that actually are fulfilling 
you know, so then you get to that place and you're kind of like we were talking about before with those post-show blues of like, now what do I do? Cool. I don't feel any better. I just feel the same and I'm just in a different body, you know? Because you had the dream body. You won huge competitions. You were objectively what a bikini body was. You were what we were all aspiring to be. And I think it's really important to emphasize that that wasn't enough. I just want to emphasize how much it didn't feel good. Like how, sure, compliments are great. But again, they're kind of like those little, a dose of something. I don't know. It's just, it's short-lived and then you need another one. It's short-lived and then you need another one. It's just, it's not a sense of inner peace. It's just anxiety. Your hormones get messed up when you look like that, right? Like women aren't supposed to be that low in body fat. Our hormones are messed up. Did you lose your period? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I was also on birth control. Mm, And I feel like that played into it. But the bodybuilding for sure played a role. Uh, My digestion was completely messed up. I, which then fed into so much more of diet culture, because, you know, oh, if your digestion and you're bloating, it could be because of gluten, or it could be because of dairy, or it could be because of X, Y, Z. And you get to a certain point where you're like, there's nothing else to cut out. I don't know what to do. Now I'm like, well, maybe it was the stress of over-exercising and the fact that there was no variety in your diet that was causing these things. But getting to that point, I think that's why I'm so confident in, in going this direction is because I have gotten to that place I wanted and it didn't, it it meant nothing. It just meant nothing. And yeah, I think that is so important to to drive home that even when you feel like you're on top of the mountain <laughs> like that it's it's unsustainable and you feel like you have to come back down in some sense and yeah. it it can't carry on how are things now now that you i presume obviously you're more of an intuitive eater yourself that's how you're working mm-hmm. with with clients um and professionally how has mm-hmm. that experience for you as as a dietitian in that role, is it is it even just more fulfilling in kind of helping people to feel good about themselves? I mean, your name is Feel Good Dietitian, so it's literally <laughs> in the name. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, I mean, I think that's why a majority of dietitians, or at least that's part of the reason why I think a lot of us become dietitians is because we want to help people. We We do. And I think we're taught that you help people by doing this specific thing. And previously, the old recommendations I used to make would temporarily make people feel good, I think, because they temporarily see whatever things they're looking to see, right? Maybe their body would change a certain way. But it wasn't getting to the core. It was just kind of like putting a Band-Aid on something versus now with intuitive eating, we're diving so much deeper. Food, like the food stuff changes, but what is the most rewarding part, I think, is to see the other areas of people's lives change as well. Their relationships improve. They have the mental real estate to pursue other passions and other hobbies. Um, Their work has improved as well because now they're more productive and they're able to give their attention to their work instead of thinking about food. So it's diving so much deeper. It's breaking down old beliefs. It's creating a more supportive belief system. And it's 
changing people's life for the long run where they can take these tools, they can continue to apply them, but now that's one area of their life that they don't have to give so much of their attention to. Like it just, they've got it now and they can do whatever else they want to do. And I think now as a dietitian, it just, it's like uh, yoga or any other kind of movement where if you don't continue to do that movement, you're not going to be as proficient at it, right? Like you have to continue to practice to, you know, if you want to run long distance, you have to practice doing that. If you stop, you're not going to be able to do it, right? So with intuitive eating, if we, we just kind of need to continue to practice those things and everything becomes more automatic. But I think in doing this work for me, it just continues to reaffirm everything that I've ever learned. And I think what is really cool as well is that people that I work with, I have one person in particular, she's a therapist. She wants to now go on and become an intuitive eating uh, counselor as well. So it's reminding people to continue to do this work, continue to uh, tell yourself the things that are supportive, continue to be curious. And, you know, they're able to do that. They don't, they don't have to go back to those old ways that aren't fulfilling anymore because they see how good this feels. You know, like, why would and they do anything different? <laughs> yeah, and and it's putting the 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 power back. It's giving you the autonomy back to make the choices for yourself, which so much of our experiences around food and movement are all about, like, getting that external rules from a nutritionist, from a dietitian, from a personal trainer, yes. like, to because the whole message is, like, you don't know how to do this. I know how to do this. I will. I'm the expert. I'm the expert. You're, you just do as you're told. Mm -hmm. And instead, what I love about this framework and the same with which I apply to movement as well, it's like, I don't know. I don't know better than you know about yourself. Like, I don't know your body better than you, but these tools, this, there's just, there's some tools here and this, this framework can help you know yourself better so you can make the choices. This is not about us making choices for the other, for the client. This is yeah. about saying to the client, I trust you, but I need you to trust yourself. So let's build yes. that trust up. And I think um, that's a really empowering thing. Completely. Yeah. And it's like you just said, it's a framework that helps you become, you already are the expert of your own body. It just kind of helps you decipher some of the cues and get back in touch with what those things, uh, what those cues are. And it ends up looking so different for everyone else, which is, I mean, we're all born intuitive eaters, you know, and, and we move around as little kids too, right? It's just kind of getting back in touch with what our body's asking for. And I think you're so right. It really is empowering where people can make the decisions for themselves. Cause at the end of the day, that's why my handle is what it is. Like everyone wants to feel good, period. Whatever it is, you want that bikini body. You want to lose weight. You want that new job. You want more money. You want it because you think you're going to feel good, right? Why don't you just do the things that make you feel good right now and in the long run? So is that moving your body? You enjoy that? Cool. You're moving in the direction you want to go. Is it, you know, eating foods that digest well? Cool. You're moving in the direction you want to go, right? So here, 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 here. Um, I have absolutely <laughs> loved this chat, Lauren. So before we go, I want to ask you what your train happy moment is. So your train happy moment can be anything where you felt connected to your body. You've had a moment of like intuition where you've gone like, oh, my body's telling me something. I'm honoring that. Or it could be to do with food, movement, what, whatever you want. Yeah. So I had one the other day. I was doing a Hamilton Peloton ride. I saw someone else post about this. And <laughs> Peloton is something I'm so intrigued by. And I would love to have a Peloton bike. Don't have any space for it. 
I know they're expensive. So get one. On I, I'm a spinner. I that's what I might. Have. I know, but we it's space in our small I know, London I know flat. Totally. I know, but one day. But I saw the Hamilton ride, and I'm like so jealous. I know it was really good, especially the "You'll Be Back" song. That's like my favorite song. But anyways, it was it was I think it was a 30 minute ride, and I was 20 minutes in. And you know those times where you're working out and you're just not into it. You're like, I'm done. Like it was a great workout, but my body was just not feeling it. So I just got off and I stretched for the rest of it and just listened to Hamilton music. <laughs> and it was great. I was like, that is so nice to be able to say. I'm not feeling good right now. Like I'm respecting my, what my body is telling me and I'm going to do something that feels good. There's other times where I get off the bike and I feel fantastic and I could keep doing more, you know, but just not feeling that need and just honoring is that was a train happy moment for me. <laughs> I love that. Cause I think that's so great to say that like you can do it and you're having fun, but um, we've had um, a previous episode with Michelle Elman who was talking about boundaries and she was saying, like, she will go to classes and just leave halfway. Yeah. <laughs> if, she's, if she's not, like, if I'm not feeling it, like, I'm not. Um, and yeah. I was like, that's really bold because my people-pleasing self struggles with that. But yeah. I respect it. And I think the beauty of these virtual classes are if you're done, you're done. And you can just go, right? right? Yep. And you don't feel bad that you spent $39 on a rumble class and you're leaving halfway <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Oh, Lauren, this has been an absolute pleasure. Where can people find you on social media, online, Instagram, TikTok? Yes, yeah. So Instagram and TikTok uh, at Feel Good Dietitian, and that's with two T's. Do you guys mm-hmm. spell dietitian with C over there? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think we know the correct spelling in England. I spell it with a T, but I do okay. realize that people spell it with a C. So I don't know okay. the, the correct spelling, but yes. Well, my spelling version of it is with two T's. <laughs> so feel good dietitian. That's on Instagram and TikTok. And then my website's just my name, laurencadillac.com. I will link those in the show notes as well. Thank you so awesome. much for your Thank time. You for it's been awesome. Me. I know. I feel like we could chat about this for five more hours. <laughs> we could. We absolutely could. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And that is it for this week's episode of the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something away from this episode. And if you did, please let me know by sending feedback. You can find us on Instagram at Train Happy Podcast. Or even better, it would be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening, as it really, really helps to support and boost the Train Happy message. And remember, if you have had a recent moment where this stuff has just started clicking for you, then share your story with us via email, trainhappypodcast at gmail.com to become the train happy trooper of the week. And if you have a burning question you would like me to answer, then please send those in too. And it may be answered in our bonus Q&A episodes. Once again, thank you for listening and I will speak to you soon.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 